Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you, and good morning, Mom and Dad, on live stream. And, uh, but I hope you're all doing well. I'm going to jump right in because we're now halfway through our uh, series entitled The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's a study of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And if you were here last weekend, Andrew did a wonderful job covering chapters 8 through 11. If you missed that or any of the talks in this series, you, you really have to go to our website and, and catch up because they, they do build uh, on each other. But if you were here last weekend, uh, uh, if you remember, by the end of his talk, it really seemed like the story of Revelation was wrapping up. Uh, you know, near the end of chapter 11, we hear this seventh trumpet blast, and then all of heaven, you know, shouts out in worship and says this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Now, when you, when you look at that, it's like, it's hard not to think that the next line in the story is going to be, and they all lived happily ever after the end. But that is, that's not the case. In fact, it's at this point in the story that it's the end of Act 2, and we quickly go into Act 3, and Act 3 starts uh, in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 19, with the word open, and it says, then God's temple in heaven was opened. And Act 3 makes it really clear that while the Lamb has triumphed, uh, the battle, the battle is not yet fully completed. And this is a good time to remind us of one of the helpful ground rules of this series we're going through. And what I mean is this, uh, the letter, really the pastoral letter of Revelation was written to all these churches and it was not written in chronological order, which means when you go through Revelation, the wrong question to ask is, hey, what happens next? That's not the question you want to ask. The question you want to ask is, hey, what did John see next? And uh, as we move into Act 3, what John sees next on this, this apocalyptic play that God is putting on for him is what he sees is a new set. Uh, Act 2 ends, the curtain is drawn, the angelic stagehands, local 318, uh, go to work, setting up for Act 3, and in Act 3, we're going to meet uh, three characters that we've met before, but they're going to be wearing different costumes, and it's super important uh, uh, in this series, in chapter, sorry, in this chapter, chapter 12, uh, there's something that we're going to see in it that is super helpful for us to get a a clearer picture to have a greater understanding of the times that we live in uh, right now, of the, uh, a clearer picture of the power struggle, of this cosmic battle that is raging behind the scenes of all the events of our lives and of our world. Uh, Act 3 goes from the end of chapter 11 all the way to the beginning of chapter 15, and it's in this sec section that we see played out one of the main purposes of a letter like this, of apocalyptic uh, literature. And let's see if you've been listening. Uh, there are two uh, primary purposes of apocalyptic literature. The first one is this, to set the present moment in light of the 
unseen realities of the future. 10 points. And a cookie. There's cookies in the cafe. Make sure to get one. Yeah, so the, the unseen realities of the future. And what does that mean? That means that in the future, Jesus is going to return. And he is going to destroy all evil. He's going to make everything right. New heaven, new earth. Okay, second primary purpose of apocalyptic literature is to set the present moment in light of the... Of the unseen realities of the present. And this is super important because what we're going to see in chapter 12 is that the greatest unseen reality of the present, of right now, 915, right now is a person. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we've seen Jesus so far in Revelation as the high priest, you know, standing among his church. We've seen Jesus as the, as the lamb, the sacrificial lamb who won the ultimate battle by laying down his life. And now in, in chapter 12, we're going to see him uh, as the promised child who uh, was born. And up to this point in the drama, we've seen the church under pressure to compromise their faith, to compromise their loyalty to Jesus as the true emperor, as the true God. And in this third act, uh, we are going to learn, and this is really important, we are going to learn why the pressure is so intense, right? The pressure is so intense both for them then and for us now. So let's pray. And then we will jump into Revelation 12. So Lord, uh, thank you for another opportunity to gather. Thank you for everyone in this room, everyone online. And, and just during that first song, I really felt like the Lord said, you need to start today by reminding everyone of just how much God loves you. And I pray in this room, our middle schoolers, our kids, everyone online, I just pray that there'd be a wave of your amazing love. Lord, would you remind us this morning that you love us and you accept us just as we are. So just come, come meet us today. Come love us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so chapter 12. And in chapter 12, which is the beginning of Act 3, in this chapter we have three scenes. And so in the first scene, we're going to kick it off by reading Revelations 12, verse 1 to 6. You can follow along on the screens. Here's what it says. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Okay. So that's the start, that's the first scene. And like I said earlier, there are three characters that we've met before, but in this scene, they're wearing different costumes. So I wanna start, as we go into the first scene, I wanna start by just going through uh, and, and describing the three characters. So uh, 
Uh, the first character we're going to look at is an enormous red dragon with seven crowned heads and ten horns and Harry Potter standing right beside him. No, no. So let, what, what, what is this? Okay, we well, remember in Revelation that numbers in Revelation are not statistics. They are symbols. They're symbols. So what does this mean? Well, it means that though, you know, uh, seven, seven being the number of perfection, this dragon having seven crowned heads, 10 being the number of completion, uh, 10 horns on this dragon. It tells us that whatever this dragon is all about, he's really, really good at it. He's really good at it. So who is this dragon? In the second scene, verse nine, we find out. It says, the great dragon was hurled down. Who is he? That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Now, just like I'm assuming some of your minds did, the readers of this letter, in hearing the phrase, uh, the ancient serpent, their minds would have instantly gone to Genesis chapter three. Woo, that's good. Genesis chapter three. If you're not familiar with Genesis three, you need to read it this afternoon. It's a super pivotal chapter in the Bible. But in Genesis three, it's in the garden. It's where we meet the snake or the, or the serpent. There's deception, the fall of humanity, etc. So, so here, that's where we meet the dragon. And, and what is this dragon all about? It says there in the text, he is all about leading the whole world astray. That's his job description. His very name, <clears throat> devil, his very name means the liar, the deceiver, the false accuser, and the tempter. And he, again, he's really, really good at all those things. You know, something this week that, went through my mind uh, uh, as I was prepping for this talk was, hey, have you ever wondered where did the devil come from? Have you ever wondered about that? Where did he come from? Well, the Bible teaches that the devil is an angelic being that was created by God, like all the other angels. And uh, it seems that he, that the devil was an angel that had a very high rank in God's court. It says this in Ezekiel 28. Speaking of the devil, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Again, he's a created being. Until, dun, 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 until wickedness was found in you. Now, uh, the wickedness that was found in him, the wickedness that grew in the heart of the devil, what we find out later, really at its root was a hatred for God. And I go, where does that come from? Why would you, you know, you're this beautiful, created, angelic being. Why would you hate your creator? Well, the Bible doesn't give us, you know, a, a, a super clear answer, but what it does point to as we read more in the story, uh, that at the, in the heart of the devil, the devil really wanted to be in control. He wanted to rule. He wanted to reign. He basically wanted to be God. Uh, listen to this, uh, again, Old Testament, Isaiah 14, talking of the devil. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. Now listen to this. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. 
That's, what, that's the evil that was in the heart of the devil. The devil wanted to be God, but he can't be God, and he couldn't be God, and so he hates God and will do anything he can to even try to destroy God, or at least what we'll see, destroy whatever God has made. So that's the first character. Second character is a little baby boy. And who do you think this baby boy is? The right answer in church, he's Jesus, right? Verse five says, she gave birth to a son, a male child. And what's he gonna do? He's gonna rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the quote there that he will reign or uh, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, it's taken from Psalms 2. Uh, You can check that later. But Psalms 2 is basically a psalm where God the Father is describing the one that he is raising up, his boy, is raising up to be the king of all kings, meaning that Jesus was always meant to rule. And Daryl Johnson, whose book we're using, it's called Discipleship, on the edge, we're using it as a guide in this series. It points out uh, in the latter part of verse five how strange it is, uh, and that's in this section, verse five, that the entire life of Jesus is basically summed up as he was born and then he ascended up to heaven to the throne. And here's what Johnson says about that. He says, why just she gave birth and her child was caught up to God? Why jump from being born in Bethlehem to being installed on the throne of the universe? Why? Because being installed on the throne of the universe is the ultimate purpose of his being born. And what John is reminding the churches that he's writing to, what what he is reminding us to right now is he's reminding us that don't forget all the craziness that's going on in this world, all the, you know, as as you're going through this letter, as we're going through Revelation, all the craziness, don't ever forget where Jesus is. And remember, if you remember last week, Andrew would point, where's Jesus? He's on the throne right now, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't seem like he's in control, what John is reminding us of is that Jesus is on the throne of heaven and earth and he is reigning. Second character. Third character is a woman, a very interesting woman. Uh, So who is she? Uh, Her description, really, we find it in uh, the answer in verse one. It says this. It says, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Now, remember that Revelation is is saturated uh, with the Old Testament. And so I wonder, when I talk about the sun, moon, 12 stars, does that remind you of an Old Testament story? What comes to mind? Good answer. Close. You get half a cookie. But uh, so let me give <laughs> so you're right. But I, oh no, I shouldn't have asked. But here, here's, here's a hint. Genesis 37, 9 says this. Then he had another dream. Now you know what it is. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So this, what we're talking about is this, the guy that had a dream is Joseph. Right, and Joseph, like if you're familiar with the story, he went to his brothers and said, hey, I just read a book by Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Let me tell you about how you're gonna bow down to me and, and I'm going to rule you. He wasn't, he, yeah, he was a little full of himself, I would say, but awesome guy. But really, so this, this story of Joseph, what he's, or what he's talking about in this dream is, he's talking about his father, Jacob, the son, his mother, Rachel, the moon, and he's talking to his 11 brothers plus him, 12 brothers, uh, 12 stars, 
12 tribes of 12 tribes of Israel. So who is this woman? Who does this woman represent? Well, she doesn't just represent the, the people of Israel. She also represents uh, the people of God from the birth of Jesus and what we'll see in this story uh, represents the people of God from after the birth of Jesus. So basically we're talking about the church, the followers of Jesus. So three characters, the dragon, the child, the woman. And before we go to the second scene, uh, let's just take a look quickly at what is going on in the first scene. And it really is kind of a, well, not kind of, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a scary image. The dragon is hovering you know, uh, in front of this lady and he's waiting for her to give birth to this little boy. And what is he, why is he waiting there? Like, does he have a, a box of cigars under his wing? I'm going to celebrate. I'll even light him. I'm a dragon. <laughs> I'll even light him for you. Is no, and this is where it's scary. He is waiting there and, and he's waiting to kill this little boy. Why would he want to kill this little boy? Well, because the dragon knows who this little boy is. And the dragon knows that this little boy is a very special little boy. That this little boy is to be the king of all kings, which means that the dragon is not. And so he hates him for it, and he wants to destroy him. And what's really interesting, I never put these together. Again, we're using Daryl Johnson's book. But when you look at the life of Jesus, not just at his birth, and really chapter 12 is, it's, it's really a, the Christmas story in many ways, but not just at his birth, but all through the life of Jesus, you see the devil, again, the dragon behind the scenes using people, using nature, trying to kill Jesus. That's how angry he is. So I won't look up the scriptures. You can look them up. Matthew 2, 16, uh, where, where King Herod, when he heard that one had been born called the king of the Jews, King Herod orders all boys in the area, two years old and younger, to be murdered. Where do you think that idea, that gross evil idea came from? That was the dragon behind the scenes using King Herod. Luke 4, 28 to 30, Jesus at the start of his ministry declares himself as the chosen one of God. And the people, instead of going, blowing trumpets and cheering, the people fly into a rage uh, and they drag Jesus up to the top of a cliff and they try to throw him off and they're not successful. Where do you think that rage came from? That was the dragon behind the scenes. Luke 8, 24 to 25, on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and the, uh, the disciples had been water skiing and then they encounter a storm a storm that's so severe that seasoned fishermen are crying out in fear. Where do you think that storm came from? That's the dragon behind the scenes, even using nature. All through the Gospels, the religious leaders are furious that Jesus was becoming more popular than them, flipping over their religious industry, if you will. And so they were constantly scheming and, and trying to find ways to end his life. Again, who was behind that? The dragon. Until we come to the climax in many ways, Good Friday. And this is important. Good Friday when politics and religion join hands. And we'll learn more about that next week. They joined hands and they had Jesus crucified. But again, he didn't stay dead. The devil hates Jesus because he knows who he is. He knows that he is the king of all kings and he knows that he cannot defeat him. He cannot kill him. And that brings us to scene two. Scene two, uh, I'm just gonna read seven, verses seven to nine. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. 
but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so what we're seeing there in, in, in the start of, this, of scene two is really a picture of what I, what I read earlier in describing the devil, that he was, he was in heaven, evil, uh, filled his heart, and so he was cast down to the earth, the devil and his minions, who are basically uh, fellow angels that have rebelled against God, and the Bible refers to them as demons. And according to Johnson, Daryl Johnson, the, the book we're using, the angel Michael, as cool as I'm sure he is, uh, did not win the battle. He says that Michael did not defeat the enemy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Well, then who did? I find this, this is really cool. Listen to this. The war in heaven is won through the actions of the child on earth. That means then, what we're talking about is, you know, the child is Jesus. The war in heaven is won by the perfect obedience of the son to his father. The child who becomes a man, the man who willingly becomes the lamb who lays down his life on the cross, who on the cross takes on himself everything that the dragon can throw at him. All the sin, all the evil, all the corruption, all the, just the yuck of the yuck of the world. And it seems, it seems like there on the cross that he, was, that he lost. But he didn't lose. The war in heaven is won by the child coming back to life on the third day and then ascending to his throne, the throne of heaven and earth as the king of all kings. And when this happens in the story, you know, uh, uh, all heaven breaks loose. And what we see in verses 10 to 12 is there's this triumphant shout that goes up in, hell of it, in heaven <laughs> celebrating the victory of, of the child. But then at the end of the second scene, in the midst of this great celebration, this great news, there's some very sobering news. Listen to this, verse 12. So now they're celebrating. Therefore rejoice, woohoo, you heavens and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea. Why? Because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And I underlined that he knows that his time is short because... That's very encouraging to me that his time is, is short. And it's also encouraging to me because that means then that the devil is controlled by someone else's schedule. He does not have free reign to do whatever he wants to do. He is controlled by someone else's schedule, not his own. And, and who are we talking about? Jesus, who is on the throne through all this, who is ruling and reigning. So the devil is cast down. And I said this earlier, that in this third act, we're going to learn, we're going to get a clearer picture, a clearer understanding of why the pressure here on earth is so intense. And I, and I hope it's starting to make a bit of sense. So as we move into the third scene, we're going to see that clearer picture. So scene three, let me read verses 13 to 17. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, 
Who are they? They're those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So the devil was already mad because he lost, he lost the battle to the lamb. He was basically bounced out of heaven down to earth. And knowing that, he, knowing that he can't defeat Jesus, he then goes after the followers of Jesus. Again, I uh, talked about this earlier. We're talking about the followers of Jesus uh, from before and after him. We're talking about the church. And how do we know that? Well, verse 17, we get a description of who these people are that he's going after. It says, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus, those who don't compromise their faith. And just think back to the beginning of this, of this series. Who was John writing this letter to? He's writing this letter, this pastoral letter to the seven churches representing the entire church. He's writing to people who are experiencing, he talks about the great tribulation. And do you remember what tribulation means? Tribulation basically means pressure. People who are under incredible pressure as they live their lives to compromise their faith. And one of the key questions of Revelation, what John was presenting to them then in that pressure cooker and to us now in the pressure cooker that we live in is, in this life, who will you worship? In this life, who will you submit your life to? In this life, who will, who will rule you? Who will have the final say? Who will direct your life? Like, will you submit to the culture, where I think it'd be fair to say the devil, to the dragon, or will you submit to God? And, and this is where I find this so helpful. I mean, it's still hard. It's still a pressure cooker, but I find this helpful uh, just in understanding all that's going on on planet Earth, which is just every day brings on a whole nother list of you know, hard, evil, painful things, all the garbage going on right now, it, it's helpful to know that behind it all, there is a dragon who is enraged at Jesus, the one he cannot defeat. And so he's going after the ones that Jesus loves. He's going after people. And if you were here last week, uh, Andrew said, um, in this life, uh, we have a target on our backs. If you're going to follow Jesus, there is no Switzerland. It, it doesn't exist. So how does he, how does the, the dragon, the devil wage war against us? Well, that's a big question. But there, you know, there, there are many obvious frontal attacks, wars, natural disasters, famines, mental and physical illness, demonic harassment, poverty, violence, corrupt leaders, division, uh, on and on and on. But what I want to end with, I, I want to focus in on the more subtle attacks of the dragon, of the devil. And just remember who the devil is, right? I said the liar, deceiver, uh, the false accuser. He's really good at these things. So Johnson says this. He says, Jesus the lamb has forgiven our sins, but Jesus's enemy will keep throwing our sins in our face. Is that your experience? Yeah. I, Jesus has embraced us as his own. Jesus's enemy will keep whispering that we do not deserve it. Jesus is at work making us whole, freeing us from addictions. Jesus' enemy will keep tempting us to draw us back into the traps. Jesus is drawing us ever deeper into intimacy with him and his Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' enemy seeks to divert us by getting us preoccupied with what ultimately does matter. So in this period of time that we live in, the period between the, the arrival of Jesus, first time, Christmas, second arrival of Jesus, the second coming, this, this period, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, like this period between D-Day and V-Day when the battle is still raging at some level. 
Basically, what the devil is trying to do is trying to lead the whole world astray, meaning he's trying to keep humanity blinded to how wonderful and merciful and powerful Jesus is. He's trying to keep us from seeing Jesus. He's trying to keep us imprisoned by sins and addictions and lies and just, and just to keep us from seeing the one who loves us, who is here to rescue us. And so what do we do then? How do we fight back as we live in this, in this pressure cooker? Well, remember, the, 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 the book of Revelation basically is a discipleship manual. Right? And, and, and where, where one of the key questions is, who will we worship? Another key question of Revelation is, hey, so how do we overcome then under this great pressure that we live with? Uh, and the, the answer is found in verse 11. Let me read this. They triumphed over him, over the dragon, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So how, how did they, how do we overcome the enemy's attack? By the blood of the lamb, by the word of their, our testimony, and by not being afraid to die. So again, I'm, I'm going to quote Johnson because I love the way he says, he answers this question. We, we overcome the dragon's attack by claiming the power of the blood of the lamb. We say to the dragon, the false accuser, you are right, dragon, I am a sinner. You are right, I am not in and of myself worthy to belong to Jesus Christ, but you do not get it. You do not understand that by his blood, the lamb bought me and made me his own and nothing can now separate me from his love. Your accusations hold no power over me because they mean nothing to Jesus. Now, I think that's awesome. That's worth taking a picture of that and, and remembering that because that's basically quoting the gospel message of this incredible gift that is offered, the good news that Jesus offers, that, that because of what he did, his perfect performance, it secures for you and I now our forgiveness, eternal life, on and on and on. And you know, just, I'm looking around the room, I know most of the people, I'm looking at the camera and I don't see anybody, but I know that if you're here today or if you're watching online and if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, well, I want to invite you to do that today because he's inviting you today. He's offering to you a relationship with the one who has fought the ultimate battle on your behalf so that you can go free. And, and, and really to start a relationship with Jesus, it's as easy as, well, it's, it's saying yes to the gift that he's offering. And so if that's you in the room or online, um, we'll talk about that a little later, but I just encourage you to receive the gift that he's offering today. Okay, overcome the dragon by claiming the power of the blood of Jesus. And then we overcome the dragon's attack by testifying to the truth. We say to the dragon, Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the true emperor and true God. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus alone gives living water. Only Jesus has the keys of death. Only Jesus can open the scroll of history. One day, every knee, every knee yours included dragon, will bow to him. That's the truth. That's the truth. Now, it's interesting in Revelation that whenever we see Jesus uh, in, you know, in this cosmic battle, Jesus never has a sword in his hand. Where, where is he holding the sword? In his mouth. Now, I hope he has a good dental plan. 
What does that mean? Why would, why would Jesus always, when we see him, there's, that we, he has a, a sword coming out of his mouth? What is that talking about? Here's what it's talking about. It's talking about the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? Which is the word of God. It's the Bible. Now, have you, ever, have you ever wondered about this? Why is it so hard to read the Bible and study the Bible? Why is it you remember statistics from a baseball player in 1971, but you can't remember a Bible verse? Why is, and that's not to condemn, it's to it's point out there's a battle. Like why, why is there so much resistance? Why is there always something better to do than to read your Bible? Well, it's because we have an enemy who knows better than we do, who knows that that is our primary weapon to be used against him. We fight by reminding ourselves and our enemy of who God is and what he has done on our behalf and what the future holds for the dragon and all his minions. Finally, we overcome uh, uh, the dragon by being willing to die for, uh, for the truth. And why don't we have the worship team, you guys can start coming back. One of the truths of the Bible, one of the amazing truths of the Bible is that in this life, even if we die, if we seem to lose our life, uh, we actually don't lose, right? Like, like we do not need to fear for our lives because we can't lose our lives. We are followers of Jesus. It looked like he had lost his life, but in fact, on the cross, what looked like a loss really was the ultimate victory. And through, and through the cross, he was able to step into eternal life and we will do the same thing. We, can, we cannot lose our lives. And so when I consider this not being afraid to die for the truth, you know, I, was, I did some research. Did you know that on the average day on planet Earth, average day, 13 Christians are killed because they won't compromise their faith. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested because, because they won't compromise their faith. Five Christians are abducted uh, again, because they won't compromise their faith. That's on the average day. And so when I look at that and think about, you know, losing our life uh, for Jesus, I go, you know, I'm really thankful that that's not the threat we face where we live. I'm very grateful for that. But then the question would be, well, what, what threat do we face here? And uh, let me read one more quote from Johnson. I just want you to consider this as we go back into worship. He says this, as I see it, the dragon works in our part of the world in another way. He gets us to feel embarrassed to name the name of Jesus. He says to us, people are going to call you naive for following Jesus. People are going to call you unsophisticated for loving Jesus. People are going to call you stupid. We overcome him by being willing to be embarrassed, to be called naive and unsophisticated, to be judged as unintelligent and uninformed. We overcome when we say, be that as it may, I am still going to speak his name and announce his good news. So consider that. Why don't we stand up? We're going to go back into worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.